0: Hello, and welcome to Now Where Were We? Bob Cryer here with the second part of the chat that Dad and I had with the human tonic that is Danny Baker. This is part two, so if you want to listen to part one first, be my guest. But if you'd prefer to carry on and hear about Dad's time working with Eric and Ernie, let's press on. (coughs) Now, dear
1: Junkin, bless him, he got really annoyed. I said, you've got to recognise what Eddie was... John and I wrote, I hope, some good stuff. And yeah. we, we went to uh, ICV with Eric and Ernie when Eddie couldn't come initially. He was tied up at the BBC. And, you know, the, the received impression in the press was oh, in decline. Eric and Ernie have left the BBC. But, there, you know, we did Shetland Hyde with Judy Dench and oh. all sorts of stuff.
2: No, yeah. And, J- uh,
1: okay, it wasn't the great days of the Christmas shows. Yeah. But uh, No,
2: oh. th- 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 I think they've been very much re uh, reevaluated. I saw quite a few things recently saying, apart from the kind of way it was shot, they said, "What's different? Yes, what's, the, what, yeah. what's the difference here with the BBC mm. with, the, with the BBC stuff? Nothing."
0: But it's I mean, the kind of affection that you have for the particular broadcaster sometimes. Well,
2: affects the, the way the people. Change, and also, you and you know yeah. and, and other uh, cliches. You know, people don't want change; they don't want it, and so they'll be that's looking and right. say, "What's different?" Oh, uh, and if it. By some chance the first show wasn't funny, then that's how people remember it. That's right. They do not remember the highlights. I mean, that's to say that everything on the BBC was tipped up and always winning. It may not have
1: have been that either. (coughs) Eric said to Junkin and I one day, we've got Vera Lynn coming on as a guest, and Eric said to me and John, I think it'd be funny if she doesn't know we wanted to sing. Which I thought, oh, boy. (laughs) We thought, that that is good. So we did it, and uh, Vera was marvellous. She got it straight away. Very effusively, Ernie, Vera Lynn, enormous applause. What are you going to sing for us, Vera? Sorry. Now Ernie collapses. What? what?" Oh, I didn't know you wanted me to sing. sing. I thought (laughs) I was just a guest. Cut to Eric as another camera. Come here, sunshine. Ernie comes over. What's going on? And he says, Vera doesn't know we want her to sing. How can we get her to sing? And Eric said, short of starting another war,
0: I've no <laughs> idea. <laughs> what a lie. Oh, my God. That was junky. Wasn't there a Falklands follow-up to that when uh, he said, are we going to war? I don't know whether we're going to war, but I've just passed Vera <laughs> Lee's dressing room and heard her gargling. <laughs> gargling.
1: Doddy. Doddy. That's the thing. Doddy. The word was Gargling, Gargling, brilliant. Gargling is the thing. And Don, Don Black also did a rather immaculate joke on the same theme. The Second World War was started by Vera Lynn's agent. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so and Vera loved it. Yeah, of course. She yeah, joined of in. Course, she was she loved lovely. Them, you know, even though, you know, one of her dearest children singing We'll Meet Again over and over and over again, she probably was happy to send it up a little bit. But you <laughs> met, yeah, uh, seemed... Every other day on uh, Twitter and stuff, they always put up the clip of Andre Previn, of course, you know, probably the the Apogee, the apex of yeah. what people remember the Morton Wise show for. But the supposition there is that Andre Previn was this long-haired director who threw himself into it with, you know, gusto. When, in fact, not his main autobiography but his subsequent autobiography where he says, possibly because people said you were really funny on that with wide eyes, he said... I don't think you know a lot about me. And he wrote about his early career when he was just a, a job in a ranger at MGM and used to, at 15, he would get three buses and a, and a train to the studios and sit there and he had a, just a brain for arranging things. They give him B films to work out and do the scales for this. And he he said probably um, my most famous piece of work, people have heard over and over again, that nobody realises it's me. He said, you know, in Tom and Jerry cartoons, whenever uh, – a uh, Jerry uh, jumps to the top of some curtains and then falls all the way down, clawing holes the piano, does a glissando. That's me. He said, that's what I'd do. I would sit there and for, if it was Zorro, I would pound out this song. I was like that silent yes. music. And he tells, what's the, oh, if I only remember who it was, who he tells, oh, Jack Lemmon. And he tells this story here, uh, In involves curse words, and he, <laughs> he says, because he knew them all, and they all knew him as a wonder kid who was very funny and wrote these incredible scores and one day he'd be on, you know, um, uh, you know, Buck Wilco Rides Again and Cactus uh, Serenade, and then he'd be on a Ben-Hur film in the afternoon, and that's what he did, you know. So he wasn't this that's classical true. conductor. No, he but knew it. So He knew heard. all of that, but he tells his story and he says, um, uh, his great friend was Jack Lemon. He's the funniest man I ever met. He said because his way of describing stuff, said, it's a great story in the book. And a friend of theirs, a, a woman friend of theirs uh, gets married and, uh, uh, and Jack Lemmon's great friend was Ernie Kovex, the great uh, oh, er, innovative, yeah, yeah. yeah the yeah. great Ernie Kovex. And Ernie says, uh, who's the guy? She's married. And he says his name. He's, uh, he goes, what's he like? Yeah. He says, he's a good guy. He went, yeah. And he says, well, what do you mean? He went, Ernie... There were a, a, a barbecue in the garden. Only if I'd have turned up here today wearing a red baseball cap and uh, walked around the grounds, what would you, what would you have said? Uh, nothing, nothing. He said, "If you'd have turned up here today wearing a red baseball cap and walked around the grounds, I wouldn't have." I'd have I said, "Hey, hey, yeah." He said, "This guy turns up with her wearing a red baseball cap. You would nudge me and say, who's the prick in the red baseball cap?'" He said. <laughs> <laughs> he said, That's the guy. That's the kind of guy he is. <laughs> so, what a beautifully convoluted way of saying oh, no. that. <laughs> he said, You just don't like him the moment you see yes. him. Yes, <laughs> but he had a
1: background. His dad had done film. Yeah. He knew jazz and everything. everything. He wasn't some orchestral.
2: No, but that's the way that, obviously, for the exactly. purposes of the, of the bit, he had yeah, to. Be, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's funny that people say he really got it. I'm sure he thought, Oh, oh at yeah. last. Ah, yes. At
1: last. But he did. I don't know whether he says it in the book. Uh, he said, Eric Morcom said to me, because uh, he only read it in the taxi coming yes, from the airport. Yes, that's right. It literally off a Eric prime. Morecambe said to me, you and me and Ernie are the only ones who don't find this funny. Yeah. Um, and he did it perfect. Oh. A bit, and that. you can see the orchestra loving yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it was written originally by Sid Green and Dick Hills for ITV. Is, IT? it? Is it one of theirs? With Ernie playing the conductor
0: and a small group. <gasps> oh. And so when they, re- the, the, when they do the radio episodes every now and again of Malker and Wise, I heard it in that version. Well, there was a
2: tremendous thread on one of the uh, uh, comic writers' sites recently about the, the joke, you won't sell many ice creams, going at that speed. Yeah. And they traced that back and back and back and back, yeah. you know, which of course that, that is the perfect realisation of it, but it wasn't, didn't come out of nowhere no. There's been quite a few, few versions it. a few of incarnations. Yeah, of that exactly. And it, yeah. I find that absolutely. I don't think it diminishes it one bit. Well, you piece. always
0: say you don't. You know, jokes don't necessarily. No, they're not. They're not thank necessarily God. written. They
2: evolve. And also, when you first get started, thank God for it. Because when <laughs> yeah. I first got started, nobody was watching old Ritz Brothers films, <laughs> and I would deliver this bit, and they would say. That's so funny. I'll say yes, it is, isn't it? Yes, yes. You are, you are born out of time, aren't you? No, You've, I do Do you, do you see, feel like you? Here's the th- a phrase i would probably if somebody said, "What is your least favourite phrase?" Uh, Have I just used it? No, no, no. It's <laughs> it, it's not in, in part, but it's when people say that. I've read W. C. Fields. He was so ahead of his time. Oh, I see. I, right. What do you mean? He was paid hundreds of thousands of pounds to make film that made big profits in the 30s and 40s. <laughs> we're not smarter now than they were then. Exactly. What do you mean? But So ne- only now we're getting this stuff. Believe yeah. me. No, people at WC Fields were big in the 30s and 40s, yeah. as were the Marx Brothers, because they oh, were absolutely f- of their time. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely but of their time. But I'm type. talking about
0: you specifically. No, you, I seem, don't. you seem to gravitate to... You know, stuff I, of the I, 30s and 40s. You've either got it or you because, haven't when yeah. you sit
2: and watch telly, either you like the horror things or you like the mysteries yeah. or you like the science fiction, uh, anything to add audience laughter in it. Yeah. My mum and dad bringing back the Hancock albums. The the the, the first time I ever heard not on the radio, The Goons and everything, on LP. The Max Miller 10-inch, Max at the Met was the first thing oh, I, yes, I ever yes. had. And When I did the first tour... The second half used to begin with the second half of that LP with his play on music, Mary from the Dairy. And the audience applauded him. And I would then, for the next 30 seconds, mouth sync with what he said. And he what is thought, What is what's he doing? You know, yeah. don't take a lot to bring me back. No, there's one there, they got opera glass. And I would do it perfectly and then stop and say, I've not gone nuts. That's how well I know the LP from yeah. the age of six. My day
1: musical, what well, it says on the tin, a live radio show. And I was. Bottom of the Bill. I was in uh, Musical Espresso Bongo, but that's not yeah. Yeah, anime. yeah, Playhouse Theatre, radio show, Max Miller, Top of the Bill. I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to meet Max Miller. They'd opened the dressing rooms, I thought, for radio? And he wore the full stage costume for radio, the white hat and the plus yeah, fours yeah. and everything. Book, Can't work book. in ordinary clothes, son. Can't work in ordinary clothes. So we do the run through blah di blah blah Bill Worsley, the producer, yeah. I remember, and Max has got something scribbled on a bit of paper. So he suddenly goes, uh, bus breaks down. Driver says, the conductors, start the garage, I'll fix this. Gets his head under the bonnet, he's fixing it. Ten minutes go by, the passenger's getting restless. Conductor goes down, says to him, do you want a screwdriver? He said, no, we're ten minutes late already. <laughs> <He had it. laughs> Bill Wills has got his head in his hands. He says, you're not going to tell that, Max, are you? I might, I don't know. So we go to a pub called the Charlotte Holmes, close by. Ray Ellington and the quartet are there. And Uh Ray came over, and it may have even been a fiver. And Max said, well, well, he said, "Uh, uh, I bet you don't tell that joke today. Oh, boy. So Max uh, opened his wallet, and we all said a moth flew out, (laughs) you know. And we all came on. There's a bet on now. And we did the live radio show. And he never told that, that joke at all. He just did it. He but went it. off. He never told it. We go back <laughs> to the pub, and Railington said, "Pay up, Max. What are you talking about? You never told that joke. I was going to." They flashed that bloody light at <laughs>
2: <laughs> Oh, split it down the hey, middle. Oh. Well, I used to listen to that Max at the Met. And of course, in those days, uh, uh, even when I'm like a, a kid. Those films, I mentioned the Rich Brothers and things, yeah. it used to be on telly all the time. That's so right. say, right. And I didn't differentiate because everyone was in black I and white. I remember G- G- Nights, Nights
0: was Harold Lloyd.
2: Harold Lloyd, yeah, yeah. exactly. Bob Munkest doing uh, the uh, Golden Greats and all That's of that. That's right, yeah. but yes. I just, Everyone was in black and white, so I didn't differentiate between them. But I don't think it was alone in that. But that, I'd never understood the jokes, but I just knew that noise that come at the end when he tells that he says, There's um, a little boy, uh, a little boy was biting his nails. And mum said, You don't want to bite your nails, your knife get fat if you bite your nails. And he says, I won't bite them anymore then. So they uh, went out and they saw a fellow and he was carrying, he was going about 20 stone. And she said, He said, Mum, well, I'll get like that if I bite my nails. You get worse than that if you bite your nails. This is literally word for word. <laughs> they took him shopping, and she got on another bus. And there's a blonde sitting there. She was carrying a bit of weight as well. So he we looked across, and the kiddie looked at the blonde, and the blonde looked at the kiddie. And she said to him, do you know me? He said, no, but I know what you've been doing anyway. <laughs> and that, 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 that brilliant. I had no idea what that joke would mean. Yeah, brilliant. But, I knew everyone but you went, knew the, the rhythm of it. And I just, yeah, and that literally was the rhythm of it. That's worth I what you've been doing. I know what you've been doing. Massive love. Anyway, yeah. and I just thought, the rhythm, it, the rhythm. Yeah, being... somebody else could tell that journey. Mike, Mike
1: Berry veteran music yeah, yeah. turned up in my pub one day oh boy it was great and invited uh, not literally your Dave, pub, your but pub
0: it's, <laughs> <laughs> to a gig they were doing but, yeah. that
1: very night I went over to the gig and uh, it was just great but nobody on the stage was under 70. Yeah. And I said to Mike afterwards, I said, if I closed my eyes, I'd have had no idea. It sounded great, yeah. all the stuff. And, you know, it was lovely. He said, you know what it is, Baz? He said, it's like you telling jokes. It's called rhythm.
2: <laughs>
1: oh. I thought, oh, I was, hello. Oh. Sorry quoting that. But <laughs> well,
0: there
2: we
1: are. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it is. When you get somebody telling a joke, who overdoes it. Yeah. This Scotsman went
2: into a pub and said, hey, Jimmy. I said, I think.
1: Get on with Get the on joke. Get on it. And not only that,
2: as someone who I you know, might include myself in that company, if, you, if you're if involved in it and write it, your first thought as soon as they start a joke is, okay, I've got this, I know where this is going, and you try to anticipate it. But you know, and I saw the discussion about this among comedians the other week on Twitter, uh, and you first told me this joke, "The, the your head is half an orange joke. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. And everyone said, but that is the prose joke. That's for us. Heads. That is totally that. And Now, of course, when people say, what is it, and you try and tell them, it don't, no. but that is the perfect thing. You think, okay, I know where this joke is going, and of course, you don't. Colin, You're Colin Sell,
1: my mates at the piano, I've known yeah, the lesson yeah. for years. I'd never forgive him. One night, uh, we were doing the gig, and he said, he said to me, "Tell him half his head was an
0: old." <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I said,
2: I got what he was up to. I said, "No, Colin, you tell it much better than me." Yeah. Well, coming all full circle to Tommy Cooper again, the, the great joke there, which used to get a big laugh, but probably more from a game, people in the game, was his, he knocks on Harry's door and his wife answers the door in black, all distraught. Who's Harry in? I mean, no, he, he died two days. What? He died two days ago? Didn't you know? I didn't hear anything. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God, it's awful. We're planning a funeral. Oh, it's awful. Oh. He didn't say anything about a tin of paint, That is right. that. That joke, you cannot <laughs> see where that is going to go. <laughs> <laughs> Why has it got to be a tin of paint? A tin of That's paint. perfect. That's yeah. it. Yeah. Sausages
1: now. You know, oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, here we go. It's like the parrot joke. Oh, ladies well, and gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. I collect them. There's a few. You know this oh, just one. a bit. Go on. It's the definitive. A woman sees this beautiful blue and gold parrot in the shop and she says to the man, he's gorgeous. How much? He said, 20 quid, 20 pounds. She said, he's beautiful. He said, well, yeah, I'm sorry, but he's got form. He's got history. He was in a <laughs> brothel. And to put it delicately, he's got quite a colourful vocabulary. Oh, I'll take it, though. Took the parrot back to her flat, took the cover off, and the parrot looked round and said, new place, very nice. (laughs) And the two daughters walked in and the parrot said, new place, new girls, very nice indeed. And her husband walked in and the parrot said, hello, Keith. (laughs) (laughs) And it's got to be Keith. Keith. Yeah,
2: actually. We overheard
1: a man telling... Ashley. We overheard a man telling... That joke in the pub, me and, and some mates, and we were leaning in and listening. And he said. And the parent said, Hello, Brian. No. No, no, couldn't. Keith. Hello, Keith. <laughs>
2: One syllable. Keith. Keith has to be there.
0: A great example of that. You're talking about the economy, and you're you're usually you will look for the quickest route mm. to the punchline. You yeah. personally. Doesn't always affect every comedian that way. I showed dad some Norm MacDonald <laughs> stuff oh, oh. on YouTube. I love it. Yeah. To, yeah, the point, to the point that it was an story. interesting exercise yeah, because Norm Norm tells a, a moth joke yeah. that Dad will now tell, if the money's right. But he he, he spins it out to this yeah. Chakovian drama. It's brilliant, yeah. My son, Ivan Ilyich, you know, he sort of you doesn't sure know, love yeah. me and all of this kind of stuff. But your version of the joke is? Well, which moth joke is this? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's these, two moths, is that... these two
2: moths walk into a bar yeah. anyway go ahead. well, no, it's, it's similar
0: to that because you said the greatest opener to a joke that you might tell in a minute is Graham Garden's one about the uh, ventriloquist in the outback
2: oh yeah <laughs> oh I don't know this that,
0: that's to come but this one in is this, it, this this moth uh, walks into a um, go on uh, well chiropodist as it is in uh, yeah. your version
3: oh but it's yes a podiatrist
0: yes. in uh, Norm Macdonald's moth yes <laughs> and the chiropodist
1: said what can I do for you and he said, uh, my wife's left me. He said, uh, my son's on drugs. This is the moth speaking. My daughter's <laughs> on the game. I'm in despair. I don't know what to do. And the croppetist said, you should see a psychiatrist. Why did you come to see me? And the moth said, the light was on. <laughs> no!
2: Again, I was thinking. Look what happens. Uh, when I the <laughs> but I was thinking that okay, it's going to be something to do with to do with the, uh, light here. It's yeah, going yeah, yeah, to yeah. be that way. You can't help it. But can't. Norm, Norm you can McDonald. See where it's it's five minutes. No, no That idea that he's a fellow who's walked out on stage uh, just to fill a few moments before yeah. a real comedian yeah, comes yeah, on. That's yeah, so, yeah. it. You know, I, uh, I, uh, I, I'm not a big history buff. I don't. I, I'm not a. But you know, I look. This First World War uh, uh, and Germany went to a war with the world. They went to war with the world. And then 20 years later, they go to war again. With the world. <laughs> what the Germany, you know, what what's it next? Mars? He said why oh, do yeah. they keep going to war? And of course he does this idea as if he's just yeah. At, at this moment this is occurring to
1: him,
0: which is the uh, persona is,
2: yeah, is I, I would say yeah. that's
1: brilliant. I love that. Yeah. It's not what I do, but he yeah. the sort of shaggy dog story, yeah. the endless well, the, narrative. It's
2: brilliant. The very best was Mitch Hedberg for me and Mitch Hedberg died when he was Oh, to, uh, thir- I don't use 30. Yeah. He used to do this act where he appeared half-stoned but with Stephen Wright type of yeah. observations. Mitch Hedberg uh, is one of those people now that any kind of obscure joke gets attached to, but he doesn't need it because his act was I that What Danny good.
1: remembers what we were talking about earlier today when we were coming in? There's an American called Foster Brook. Oh, Foster oh, great drunk, yeah. great drunk. Yeah. He played drunk and he didn't drink yeah. at all, but he played but somebody over here nick the
0: accent did
2: it yes, as well yes they did yes
0: yeah. they did and we, i couldn't, we couldn't remember, remember his name the name then.
2: of oh yes they did the british
0: foster brooks basically
2: yes they did i don't know then was- again he was yeah. brilliant. Then again, you could say Foster Brooks nicked it from Freddie Frinton. He did a very good drunk. <laughs> very good drunk, Freddie Frinton. Uh, Foster Brooks' thing was always the burp. All of us have tried to do that. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't you do that. No. And Dean Martin and all them just <laughs> yeah. wanted Dean him doing <laughs> his TV, massive TV show.
1: Walking into the bar on those phone shows. Playing yeah. it drunk. Of
2: course. Time. You cannot do that. You cannot do that. Well, you mentioned Michael Aspel earlier. The rumour was that... Uh, He had gin in his water glass or something. No, uh, No, uh, uh,
0: what's his name? You know, a barnstorming actor of the uh, 70s and 80s, British actor who was on Asphalt
2: Show Drunk. Um, Oh,
0: uh, Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed comes in with the uh, the, the carafe of orange juice. I I
2: was in LWC that night. Yeah, I was there that night. Oliver Reed famously turned up drunk on Aspel's set, and uh, it's become notorious. The, the story I heard, and I think it bears more fruit than that, Oliver Reed may have become a cartoon drunk. At that time he weren't. He was on there to promote it. He went there with his brother. This is, this is exactly as I heard it at the time, and I was working at the studios. He went there with his brother, and anyone who's, again, sort to be exclusive here, has ever been, you know, it's worse these days, but he's shown to a dressing room at LWT, and for the next half an hour, all you get is... Okay, and you open the door. Hi, uh, wardrobe, which is fine, you know. Hi, do you need anything? Hi, uh, could you go to my company in 10 minutes? It's a relentless. If you're trying to read a book, it's murder. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you Spike Milligan story after this. So, <laughs> Oliver Reed, that obviously been told, keep him away from booze. And he had got there with his brother and he said, can we send down a couple of beers? Because somebody get us cut up. We can't really do that. Are you okay? And he sensed this kind of, anyway. They kept knocking every two minutes. Hi, lover, Um, we're going to be a few minutes yet, and we're going to take you through. He said, can we get a couple of beers? And they said, um, we really don't want you. Anyway, he went to the pub across the road, came back. was refreshed, yeah. not, not pissed, but he came back, and he just sensed this relentless, how you doing, Oliver? And they're looking into his eyes, and he thought, they want drunk, I'll give them drunk. And yes. if you watch it, if you watch it, he's got his shirt hanging out. Yeah. He's got this jug of apparently vodka and orange. He's, be- he's acting like a ham drunk. Yeah, yeah. But if you look at the interview, at one point Aspel says to him, I'm going to have to say this, why do you appear like this in public? And he says, because, Michael, I have no wish to live in a world of mundane sobriety. That's not a drunk's answer. But it's That like is a not a drunk's answer. It's drunk, no, like no. a cry no. for help. Yeah.
1: Because it, I was with him, I don't know if it's the same show, and I met Ollie in the Crete, Ollie, he says... <laughs> in the green room. He was cold sober. Yeah. We chatted. And then they said, come on, you two, go down to the studio. And he was really, he was whispering and talking to me. And then they signalled it's time for him to go on. And he went on. And did the whole thing. And he yeah. went into the act. And he punched a hole in the polystyrene scenery.
2: I think they said uh, the same Henry one, Cooper think...
1: was sitting yeah, with. One. I think it is. Yeah. Henry Cooper was sitting with. Oh, right. Wendy Richard, I think. And... Uh, Ollie said, Allah, Henry, my old mate, yeah. and took a swing at Henry Cooper. And the audience are going, my God, what's going on? Henry Cooper said to me afterwards, he said, it was totally professional. He I yeah. just missed it. Yeah. Dear Wendy Richard, she said, my eyelashes fell off. I thought, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> he played it drunk. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's why. And I thought, do I tell everybody? And I did. Because I said, he'd been wound up. He, well, because
2: he'd been wound up. And, and yeah. plainly, while he was, cold, getting, his, sober, his, while he was getting his introduction, he must have pulled his shirt out. Yes. Him, because nobody would let him go on the set. Nobody would no. let, let him go on the set like that. He was and cold then, sober in just, the yeah. green room before. What is this so ambivalent sober. thing they Well, do? because it's like, I tell you, I'm, I'm all my time spent with Gaza. Yeah. yeah. He found it much more expedient and less stressed yeah. to give a, a two-minute performance of him with a comedy boom This is and what expect. And he wasn't like that. Paul wasn't like that. Paul didn't no. drink. I've told this many times. Paul didn't drink, which he, he later learned to and became very morose and lonely after he was. But Paul, the first time I met him, he loved the fact that I don't mind a, I don't mind a drink. And I was sit with him. We got on great from the moment we met. But you'd see in a pub with Paul and there'd be other people around footballers not quite, if you might say, of his cerebral genius, which he is. He is The thing with Paul Gascon here was cosmically bored, always. Yes. Football was never his thing. They've got to break the boredom, haven't they? First time I went to his house, I went to his trophy room, which he had in his house, and it was, you know, not big, but still shelved from top to bottom. Every kind of trophy you can imagine, not just football, darts and uh, uh, snooker and tender, anything. He was just like Rain Man. Sport was no problem to him. Again, I've said this a few times, but... Barry might not know this. When he played snooker with the England fellas, he could only they would only let him play against him if he held the cue in one hand. He wasn't there because he could beat him. When he played darts, he had to have the point of the dart point into his nose as he threw it. Otherwise, there was no game. Uh, when he played table tennis, nope, just his hands he could use because he would beat you. Yeah. Uh, I played penalties with him on Newcastle's pitch for a film we were doing. We'll play penalties, Dan. Uh, you can hit it any way you like when I'm in goal, but I have to run backwards and at the last minute backheel it. To, Otherwise, he felt there was no... So yes. Anyway, and consequently, when he was out, and, and with footballers boozing as they did in them days, he felt needed to keep up with this. And he would have a, usually a half a lager and a short, but I, he was one of them fellas, and I think we've all met him, who want to be like part of the lads. Yeah. But he'd put his drink under the table and pour a little bit away and then bring it back up. And, and if, the floor yeah. around Paul would always be wet because he wanted to. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever the, the machismo involved. So thought, many, in many respects,
0: that. the dentist chair celebration
2: at Euro 96 sort of is an element of an him, element, of it, him it, saying... You've got to be pretty smart to do that. He, yeah. he used to, uh, but when you used to, I used to see him on bus stops with the fake boobs, doing the tongue out thing, yeah. he thought he wanted to be liked always. He's he still yeah. to this there's day. There's Gaza can, and the, there's Paul Gaskell. The only so you person want a bit I ever saw stop traffic ever yeah. Stop traffic was Paul Gascoigne. I walked through Piccadilly with him once. Everything stopped. But he would think he would, like a comedian, would see the one fella who was going. I couldn't care less. And think that, that, that's that's the real opinion of yeah. The...
3: and 365-day returns. Here's
2: the thing. When he was with me and Chris Evans, he found two good friends. We used to have a great time, but the fact we were very much of a a piece in um, uh, the way we lived, we didn't go to the garage club and take cocaine. You know, God love it. I know plenty of people who did. We used to go to pubs like this. So we were very visible and it became that sort of thing. They're boozing again, they're boozing again. These 36-hour benders we were all supposed to go on. Yes. I had two kids in them days. My wife is a crack shot. I couldn't have gone on a 30-hour. <laughs> can't, can't stay awake for 36 hours. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, Chris, Chris, by the way, Chris could do that. But Paul used to stay around my house uh, uh, always, yeah. but if they saw us going coming out, it of, takes one photograph. Then, yeah, uh, it? and I, yeah. we know that. I don't even yeah. know, I need to underline that. That's how that works. But yeah. Paul never understood that, and and footballers will show him the headlines. And he, he he thought he always used to think he was a bad person who had lucked out. And once he lost contact with us because he was told at his first twelve yes. so Don't get in yeah. touch with your old friends. We used to really used to look after him, and also he's one of the funniest men I ever met. But yeah. then. The mental facility started falling away. Uh, He used to live in a hotel out towards Heathrow when he was playing for Tottenham. Um, He lived in this hotel. A few times I went over to meet him, he'd be sitting in the bar, nursing half a lager with the most boring travelling salesman we ever met in your life. They were his friends, his company. He didn't know anyone down here. And then we used to go out, but people would see us sitting with a drink in front of us, laughing our heads up, photos, 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 Gazza, drunk, Gazza, done this, Gazza getting a late-night kebab. Yes, he did get a late-night kebab. I wasn't there that night. as was well over by Chris's house. That time he was on the front page of the paper because he was playing for England the next day. It might have been that. That's why that celebration it he not, does. Yeah, yeah. The thing is with him, which... The sport sporting media and everyone else couldn't take. He could have a kebab and a bit of a skin for the night before, and still go out and do that as Jimmy Greaves used to be able to That's do right. in yeah. a different era. Well, Terry now, Venables
0: said that when Jimmy used to drive him to games, didn't he? And they'd yeah, stop they, off for they, like they
2: a, to, a full mixed mixed grill. I understand that is not the way forward. and That can't be done. No, but but but, I, the, but Paul used to. He's got a skin too few. Yeah. And I used to say, mate, did it honestly? Don't. But he used to feel it and believe. The worst about him and never the best. Always the worst about him. And But whatever he did, he happened to become a footballer and one of the best. And when he was dropped by Glenn Hoddle at that World Cup thing, it destroyed him more than any drink he ever took in his life. And, but he was just, as we all know, you wouldn't have had him as one. I've met a lot of people. He was just the funniest, the greatest company. Yeah. Just dynamite, but man alive. <laughs> a lot of people go through our lives. Not, not, everyone's got one friend like that. Yeah. He was mine. And he was a great, great friend. Uh, on stage, when I tell stories and when me and Linnick used to do it, did one I'll be told the other week when um, he was at Middlesbrough and Middlesbrough bought a new coach and I think it cost £400,000 because football clubs will pay £400,000, something like that. Yeah. And not a coach, I don't mean a coach in terms of, I'm mean an actual physical team <laughs> coach. Yeah. And there was this big thing with the press and everyone was going to come as Middlesbrough stood by the new coach and probably paid half the feedback by doing the promotional photo. So Gazza thought, I know what I'll do. I'll nick it. I'll give the driver just to drive it two streets away. So when everyone comes out, (laughs) where's the coach? This is what he really did. So he goes up to the driver, Gazza, how are you? So it gives him... I do know, 300 pounder mate, I just want to drive it around the corner. Oh, poor coach. Come on, mate, it's all right. You know, I've got my HGV license. He hadn't. Of course, he goes up to the corner of the road in trying to take the... Hits a concrete bollard, wallop, and decided his coach. <laughs> so uh, he then has to go back and say, I don't know what I was doing. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I didn't know what I was doing. Now, he calls me up and said, Tony, I've just run a coach into a into a concrete bus I said, so what'd you do that for? Me? because it was it was gonna be the showpiece and we we're all outside and I just thought I'd park it a few streets. <laughs> I said now, now. It's a terrible. When you start story. unpicking the plan, I was say, Paul, yeah. oh, what? Did I, I know, I know, I know. Now, of course, they took it out of different fines and all of that. But yeah. anyone who would do things like that, yes. as well as when he was in China, let's not forget, Paul went out in oh, yes, China. Oh yes, of course, yeah. And he's out there, and he would get in touch and say, "They cut your hair on the street. There are fellas on the street that cut your hair." It's fucking mad because he won in. By Beijing, he was out in the sticks, playing with this club that promised money he never got. He said, you can get weird. People standing around to weigh you on the streets. He was full of it. <laughs> anyway, there was a little zoo near where he lived, a little zoo, right, a private zoo. He said uh, he used to go down to that, and one morning he was watching a fella feed horses' heads to tigers, right? And now you got to realize, Paul is not telling this like we would. Is it? And it, he tells you this. And the followers, I wish I could do a Geordie accent. And these horse horse <laughs> horses' heads, they're just telling me these horses' heads in his throw their fucking toes. So I went, I, he made himself, went, if I give you this much money, can I give a tiger a horse's head? Sort of fellow. like, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, I've got this fucking horse's head. He said, it's fucking slippery. It's just a horse's head like the godfather. He said, and I've gone up to the tigers in bars and I've gone up to the bars, and it's gone ah, I've gone, hoey, oh, hoey. Oh, he won't <laughs> let it have the horse's head, right? I'll let you have it. He's going to throw it over in a minute. He's teasing the Tigers with his horse's head. He said, and then I thought I was going to just hoey it in there. He said, and I've got it by years, and I've gone like this, and it slipped out the fingers, and it went into the penguin pool, right? <laughs> now, as a story of a footballer in China, yeah. in a private zoo, <laughs> pays someone to let him feed horse's heads to Tigers, yeah. and you just see, when you see these banal stories about yeah. him. He also asked Jimmy to go out and Jimmy was his Jeeves to his Bertie Worcester <laughs> uh, and Jimmy ate snakes so he paid this zoo and this is true. To give him a snake, right, they turned up and the handler's with him and Jimmy turned up with a house across the road he hired and he fed the snake through the letterbox <laughs> of this place and then rang Jimmy and said, I'm outside. He said, I heard Jimmy come down the west as He was going, ah! <laughs> I just think this is yeah. not normal, but wow! He fed a snake through a litter box. Yeah. You see these lads being They're interviewed,
0: interviewed with their special. bathroom bags and the mineral mineral water, and go. Oh yeah. So what you
2: know? What's your day been like? Well, I just I chucked I just, a horse's head so into the penguin that, enclosure, and I'm sure people now would you know? Well, he needs help, and all of this. But I, I I don't know. I, I don't know. think I don't think Paul knows how great he is. How funny he is! How bizarre a life! How wonderful a life he's had. How, how,
0: how loved he is. That, that comes is across. That is the key to
2: yeah. it all. really and so many people in comedy don't know how loved they are. No, they don't. No. They don't know how how terrific they are. Yeah, and uh, um, we've all sat with them. You know, how do you think it went? I thought, you know, I didn't think that went so well. Would I know? mean, your wild man image—you've kept, you know, you kept under wraps <laughs> under <laughs> oh, for many a year. The, the, no, oh, the, the purple, is k- kicking off again. The purple people eater
0: years. <laughs> Number I think one well in <laughs>
2: Finland. Excuse yeah, me. The well, Don't get me wrong. Have respect. Absolutely. Can I ask you? And I know we're running obscenely long, but uh, how how did you end up as? How did, how did that happen? <laughs> because Sheb Woolley, country singer and an yeah, actor. Yeah.
1: He was one of the baddies who was going to kill Gary Cooper in High Noon.
2: Yes. But he had this big hit,
1: <laughs> The Purple People Eater, yes, sort I'm, of E.T. Yes. And it was issued here and sort of a hit. Yeah. But contractually or something happened, it wasn't issued in Scandinavia. It's the only territory he didn't have. Oh. And I'd done a little English cover version. It was pushed out and it was number one in Finland.
2: <laughs> I said they gave away a car with each record. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, the thing I never get is how was it you doing it? Did you have ambitions to be a pop singer? Did your agent at the time saying here's something? Well, my mentor, Frankie Vaughan, bless him. Ah, oh, stop, Paul Jones. Originally from
0: uh, <laughs> isn't it? Liverpool,
1: Liverpool. Yeah, but Frank and I finally got it together as friendship in London, and his uh, manager and agent was Paul Cave. I was taken on board. Oh, at Chancery Lane in the office, and. Uh, Oh, this is where I spoke to Marilyn Monroe. Do
2: you know, once you said Frank Vaughn, I was just about to say, there's there's a tale. There there's is, a man, yeah. a rather like Norman Wisdom and a few others, and Dinah who went to Hollywood and said, no thanks. Yes, Frank that's right. certainly. Yeah.
1: There were several offices there, and I was out at mm-hmm. work. I was taken on board, thanks to Frank, by the agency, and I was making the tea and answering the phone. And I was alone in this particular office, and Frank had done Let's Make Love, I think, a film mm-hmm. with Marilyn Monroe. Yes, he did, yeah. And Yves Montand, whatever. And they were going to do a phone link up with America. God knows what time it was in America. This is later, much later in the day here. I don't know. Anyway, the phone rings, and I pick it up, and a voice says, Is that the Paul Cave office? I said, Yes, I have Miss Monroe for you. I'm looking around. But oh. the front. There's nobody there in the office except me. Hello. And she suddenly, she sort of realised she was talking to a harmless young man, I think, not a journalist <laughs> oh. or anything. We chatted for about two or three minutes before my anybody gosh. came in the
2: office. And I'm pointing at the phone going, Marilyn Monroe. Oh, my God. Yes. The- Again. Uh, this is a nine-hour show anyway. <laughs> you? Uh, that, um, Dick Clement and Ian Lafrené whom God Preserve. Oh, yes. uh, They said when they were writing Alfie de Pet, they were writing it in Los Angeles because they were based in Los Angeles for quite a while, weren't they? Yes, they were writing yeah. Alfie de Pet, but they said they had local sources from uh, up on Wearside and Tyneside who they would call to say, would this happen, would that happen? But because of the time difference... He said we had to say, you know, we'll call you at this time, it's midday in Los Angeles, but it was one o'clock in the morning here. Yes. He said, and the fella said, he said, and he was known to the police. He was known to them, but they needed his for the storyline. They needed his input, and they said, right. He said, well, look, there's a phone box uh, outside our flats. About, answer. he said, I'll be there at one o'clock. Call us, and they said, we will, we will. He said, and he was standing by his phone box at ten to one in the morning. And a panda car goes by <laughs> and comes back the other way, and the police get out. And I said, "Hello, Frankie." And he said, "Hey, lads, what are you doing?" He said, "I'm a, a call." And I said, "Who from?" He said, "From Hollywood." Get in the fuck! Get <laughs> in! <laughs> 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 yeah, he said, he's, yeah. It's, "It's from two fellas in Hollywood." Like, <laughs> get in! Get in you go. Michael Caine's story I heard
1: recently. I think he'd written about it before. In the days long before the phone and everything, mobile, uh, if you want to make a call when you're out and about, you had to go to a phone box. Yeah. <laughs> and he was Maurice Micklewhite. That was his name. Yeah, Michael cool. Kane. Michael Caine,
2: yeah. from,
1: And his from, agent, from me, where I'm from. His agent said, God, we've got to do something about your name, you know, Michael this, Mark, yeah. whatever. And uh, he said, he was in Leicester Square, and there are two cinemas in Leicester Square, and he saw this cinema poster, The Kane Mutiny. So he rang his agent and he said, I've had a strange idea. What do you think? Michael Caine. And his agent said, oh, I like it. I think we'll go with that. And Michael Caine told the story. He said, thank goodness I wasn't looking at the other cinema. I'd have been Michael 101
2: Dalmatians. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we we started, I'm only doing this if I'm carrying on as long as you like, with um, some of the more extraordinary strokes of dumb luck I've ever had. I mean, as I said about what I said to Kenneth Williams, which got me, got me in there, and Mel Brooks. No Brooks there are yeah. others along the way, which I always think, up until recent events, you had a, a, a Guardian star. <laughs> hey, how about this? I wrote the series credit I wrote, my great friend Jeff Powell, I've known uh, forever. And uh, he rang me up and said, uh, next Tuesday, what are you doing? Uh, nothing. Do you want to come and see an evening with Michael Caine at, at the Albert Hall? Uh, OK, so we will all go out, we stay in a good... You know, kind of live in London, don't I? But He said uh, our wives are great friends. He said, Wendy and Tina, we'll, take them up. we'll stay in a good hotel, we'll have a nice lunch, we'll go to the Albert Hall. Oh, sounds good. Yeah, we'll do that. Uh, although, secretly, I was thinking, I don't know, I don't want to do it next Tuesday. Anyway, along we went. Uh, we went to the hotel, we checked in the hotel, lovely bar in the hotel, and I, I don't want to say Cavalier, but uh, uh, Jeff had said anyway, you know, he said, they're not great tickets, but we'll go and see this. Now... Football supporters will recognise this. Sometimes you get into a little session, you think, do we really want to go and see the game? Do we really want to go and see? So I said, <laughs> what time is it now? Uh, 10 past seven. What time's he on? Eight. We'll have one more, yeah, and we'll see how we feel. All of this. So uh, we decided we were having such a nice time and maybe we won't go. Anyway, 20 to eight, out we go. And it was a walk to the Albert Hall. As he's walking to the Albert Hall... He runs into someone else in the games. Hello, hello, Dan, hello, Jeff, so-and-so. You go into, oh, yes, we're going to there. Where are you sitting? And we showed them the seats. They weren't great seats. Uh, that was all right. Uh, we got them at the last minute. Uh, oh, um, I, I can help you there. And they gave us two better seats. They were on, you know, in the nice circle. Oh, thank you, someone. No, we weren't going to use them, you know. We got closer to the Albert Hall and Jeff runs into uh, uh, someone, says, uh, oh, Jeff, so-and-so, where are you sitting? Oh, come and sit with us, so so promise you this happened. They gave us even better seats. I said, this is nuts. This is nuts. Now we're on the floor of the place. Then we run into Steve Coogan, who Jeff writes with all the time. Oh, where are you? I said, no, do, you, do you want to be in a box? Now this is the third time on this journey <laughs> we've changed. I said, this is crazy. I said, we're not going to come now. We're in a box. He said, yeah. So he gives us these seats. We get in the Albert Hall and someone tells us he's not on for another 20 minutes. So we have another drink. And then we find our way to a box in the Albert Hall where I once showed my ass. Uh, that's another story for another. <laughs> oh, no. I should have told that so. Anyway, in we go to this box, and uh, lovely box in the album right overlooking the stage. And uh, when you sit there, and Jeff goes and sits there, I make my way along the row and I sit down, and I'm sitting next to Michael Caine. Michael Caine is sitting next to me. And I said, hello, hello, and he's got his program up, hiding his face. I mean, this is the opening We've got to film this. And Steve Coogan's behind me, and he said that we're doing this thing at the beginning where him and Rob Brydon are having a conversation. This is the opening of the video they're making, saying, no, he does it like this. You're only supposed to blow the bloody doors up." And then Steve, no, no, he does it more like that. And he was then going to bring down his thing and say, this is how it works, and the audience go mad. Right. And then we cut. So, from not wanting to go very much, not saying I'd ever have a drink, getting better seats, better a seats, better seats, I sit next to Michael Caine. And if ever, it's on YouTube. Have a look at the video. You're there. If you ever look at the the moment he drops his thing, there's me sitting next to him. <laughs> and of course, I come from two streets away from him. We couldn't have got on better. And I did even say to in. this is not normal. <laughs> come to see Michael whole I'm sitting next to him. So, you
1: you showed your arse at the Albert Hall? Very quickly. Very quickly.
2: We were doing a thing, uh, one of Elton John's tennis evenings, he used to do charity tennis nights, where he invited tennis pros and famous people to play tennis at the Albert Hall, as it was. Again, back to the old six o'clock show. We were covering it, and uh, it was a a, a black tie thing. And they said, it'd be nice if you do the black tie and all of this. So I turned up for the thing. We're filming around the Albert Hall, doing the early part of it. But the live part of it is coming where Michael Aspel says, so Danny, you're there. How is it this evening? Who have you got with you? I was going to talk to somebody else out of this. So there's nowhere to get changed and we're in the corridors of the Albert Hall. I don't know what camera crews are like. This was in the days when television companies used to do their TV outtakes at Christmas, all the stuff. You know, they were famous. Every TV company did them. So I said, I'm not not changed change in front of you, you I says, no. I go into this, I get, get change in one of the boxes. The audience are just arriving, I thought. Uh, I go <laughs> into this box, and the, if you go into the box, of the airboard, there's a curtain, velvet curtain, and then the seats are beyond it. And I thought, I'm going to keep an eye on that door. They're going to burst through here and try and get shots of me, pantsless, trouserless. So I keep my eye on the door, and I take my jeans, and I'm holding my... And I put my dinner suit on. Now my ass is through the curtain behind me and I hear just a smattering of applause <laughs> and I thought, Oh, no, the crew are there outside in the (laughs) corridor. I am now showing my ass to the Albert Hall. And I jumped up and I put my head through it and it was was only about a third fall. (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how I showed my ass to the Albert Hall. I cannot match that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that'll do us.
0: Danny Baker, thank you for joining us. This thinly veiled excuse for Dad meeting old mates, basically. Well,
2: man alive, and God bless it. I just
1: wish we could have got uh, Dan to tell some story
0: (laughs) and with that our time with Danny Baker is sadly over but did he and dad then stay in the pub talking for another two hours well yes yes they did if you enjoyed the show we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a review subscribe to the show and tell your friends thank you so much to everyone who's done so already it really does help us to find new listeners who might otherwise miss the show So until next time, from Dad and me, a very happy new year.
3: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen